Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 5 will be our text. Now, I won't be reading those right now, but uh, I'm going to go just verse by verse as we normally would anyhow. So, uh, this will be part one this morning, part two tonight. That's the way I plan to do this. So, uh, just be ready to follow along and listen closely. People talking about, you know, we just had to sing about the Missions Conference, Faith Promise. We had the best Faith Promise we ever had this past year. And praise the Lord for that. And I, if you ever want to point your finger at somebody and says they're of little faith, that's probably been me. Because when I see what we did last year and I say, look at this country, the problems it's having, the situation, the inflations and all this other stuff that's going on. How are we going to make it? You know, you just wonder. Uh, how can... What kind of faith promise? Well, that's why it's called faith promise. You pray, you ask God to impress on your heart personally what He'll have you to do. And then you do that. Uh, we have you turn in a sheet. We don't even have your name on it. It's just you turn in how much you're going to do for missions each week. And that's how we know whether or not we can add missionaries. And so it depends on uh, each of us doing that. So we look forward to that. But you say, yes, but look at the economy. I know, but look, it's not that bad. I've just got three more payments and I can get a dozen eggs. So, it's about right, huh? <laughs> okay. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to delve into your word today. And Father, I just pray you'd speak to each heart. Lord, you spoke to my heart first on this, and I just pray you'd continue to speak to others as well through it. In Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name, I pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this, we start in verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, this letter to a Corinthian church from the Apostle Paul, from, who actually is writing down this. You know, we always say Paul's words. You've heard me say that before. They weren't Paul's words. They were God's words. And he inspired those. That's what inspiration means. God breathed. He breathed out every word that's written there. And, and he's uh, uh, the one that God could trust to write it down accurately, not leave anything out or not change anything. And so that's why they had to be holy men of old that could uh, be used of God to write scriptures. And this was to this Corinthian church, which he helped to plant. And so he called himself as a, both a minister and a, a steward of the mysteries of God. But now you want to think about, well, what is a steward? I, when I look in the dictionary sometimes to look at words that I find in the Bible, and of course a steward's not just a Bible word, but sometimes I do that just to looking at a passage, and I look in the 1828 Webster Dictionary because uh, Webster, back in that day, uh, was using the King James Bible, and he went into everything that you needed to do, I guess, to define those words as it would have been coming from uh, Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament, and, and even in Daniel there's an Arabic part which was Arabic, and you say, well, why was that? Because there's a part in Daniel chapter 4 that Nebuchadnezzar gives his testimony. And so it wouldn't be in Hebrew. 
But I'm just saying all of that, that um, those are things that are God-breathed. That's why we put emphasis. You'll hear me say from time to time the Textus Receptus in the Masoretic text. The Masoretic is the Hebrew of the Old Testament, and the uh, Textus Receptus, TR, some, most of them call it, is of the New Testament Greek. And so that's how it is. So I'm saying all that just to say that these are actually words from God. But the people will know that because Paul was used in founding that church, that they're coming from the man of God. They got saved through the ministry of that man of God. And so they're going to pay attention. So he talks about himself as a steward. And so the definition of a steward is, is a, a man who is employed in great families to manage the domestic concerns. Well, and that's pretty true here with the Apostle Paul. He was hired. He was called by God. Called by God as a steward in the family of God. He goes on to say, superintending over other servants. And that's what you have in a local church. You have a pastor, and the church is supposed to be pastor-led. And so he has that position in a local church as a pastor. And, and it goes on to say, there in their definition, uh, superintending, other servants, uh, collect the rents or income to keep the accounts up to date, conduct the business of the home, and that is, in that day, what, what a steward would do. That's what Paul was doing for the local church. God was using him for that. And so when you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 about taking an offering on the first day of the week, which was a Sunday, which you said, did they meet on the Sunday at the church in the first uh, century when church, well, you have an example right there that they did. They did. As a matter of fact, the church met daily in, when the first church was formed, you know, in Jerusalem and from there on. They were, they were meeting daily. It was not a Sunday and maybe a Wednesday night meeting. No. It's Sunday. Now, uh, folks, uh, my wife and I were talking the other day, and she remembered that uh, I, I, I went to my first church. It was in Cantonment, Florida. I, I left there, you know, just kind of like uh, kicking and screaming because I love those people. But we left there. We went to Arizona. When God... My dad flew out there and, and said, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm going to retire in two years. I talked to my deacons. They voted. Uh, you're going to come as my assistant in two years. You're going to be the pastor. And that's the way he said it. He says, now you let me know, but you've got to pray about it first. I said, okay. Well, we were out together that day, and so when we got back to the house, when the bedroom told Janice, says, now we won't tell him no until they get back home, him mom get back home, then we'll tell them no. And then I started praying, Lord, uh, well, let me put one other thing in. Back there, when you, back then, in the 80s, you could actually walk out to the tarmac to the airplane with the people that you were with. And, and so, walked out, he started to go up those steps, he stopped, turned around. You remember, I told you to pray about it. I said, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, I will. Went back, we laughed again. You know, but, um, 
So I did, you know, I promised to pray about it. I started praying about it. So my whole prayer was, Lord, help me to say this in such a way that won't hurt him and mom so badly. Help me to say no in a very nice way. And then take the Lord long to tell me that's not the way you were supposed to pray. Now, from that time, day, whatever the date was in May, I don't remember. But I do remember this. My original prayers was, how did I get this across to him? Then it was, okay, Lord, you don't really want me to go. All these people out here that have been saved are new Christians. We just got this church started. We're, we're, we're just going, we're in the early stages. There's opportunities and all those kind of things. And I was telling the Lord what, what he's supposed to do. And the Lord wasn't taking any of it. I spent days, we lived out in the, the Tucson, Arizona. That's the desert. I'd go out and walk in the desert for hours at a time just talking to the Lord. As a matter of fact, I found a, it must have been an old mission. It had, uh, it had wooden pews inside and no glass in the windows or anything. A little pulpit up front, and that was it. I'd go in there and pray. There's nobody around. Read my Bible, go out and walk some more. And sometimes I've prayed walking because it just seems to get the blood flowing a little bit and helps the mind to stay active. But I prayed like that. Then I'd spend all night in prayer. Then I'd spend, uh, I'd fast for a while. And finally, uh, the Lord got through this thick head and said, don't you realize I'm trying to call you back to Ocala? I didn't want to follow my dad in the ministry. I really didn't. Uh, I knew that there'd always be the comparison. There's no comparison. He's the better of the two. But I just knew that that would be a part of it. So that, you know, you have that little thing going on in your mind as well as leaving these people. But we made that decision. Made that decision. I called up my dad and said, Dad, uh, and this is about mid-August now. I mean, that's from May to mid-August how long that took. I said, I believe the Lord's calling us back. I, I know he is, and we'll come. And so we did. We did. We got here, but uh, even at that, there was a church out there that I'd preached at a time or two that I knew the pastor, good friends with him. Beautiful church. I mean, a beautiful, I'm meeting in a rented school building auditorium, and that big, beautiful church with nice property, great location. And I said, man, if I had a church built, I'd like to have it like that. I'd like to locate. I, was, I mean, that was what was going through my mind, you know. And he calls me up the day after I called my father, and he said, uh, hey, Andy, he says, the Lord's called me to go to Idaho. And my people want you to come be their pastor. I said, man, why didn't you call me 24 hours earlier? But, but you see, that's the way God works. And he just kept working and working and working. You don't stop until you know from God's word and your walk with God what he'd have you to do. If you're expecting something just to hit you out of heaven just like that, it doesn't happen that way, folks. You've got to walk with God. He speaks to us through his word. Okay? He speaks to us through his word. Now, uh, when we got here, because it hurt to leave the, each place I left, it hurt. It, it, it hurt because I didn't want to leave those people. You know, you love them. Got here. I told her, I says, well, my prayer this time is that the balconies would be filled upstairs, the downstairs would be completely full, 
and, and if that'll be it, and it's doing it on a regular basis, not just one time or something special, but all the time, then I know God's calling me to maybe step somewhere another direction. But I don't want him to do it till then. Now, the Lord may do it that way, may not. But that was my prayer. If people knew that, there's some people that uh, in the past that if they had known that, they would have had this thing full every time. I tell you what. Uh, but uh, uh, nonetheless, what I'm saying is, if you're going to have a personal revival in your heart, realize this. With God's call, God doesn't call everybody to be a pastor. doesn't call everybody to be a foreign missionary. He doesn't call everybody to be an evangelist. But if he calls you to be a Sunday school teacher, to sing in the choir, to drive a bus, ride a bus route, if he calls you to work in the maintenance uh, or something else in the ministry, that's just as important as anything I'm doing. Now, I say that honestly. Now, just think if we didn't uh, have a nursery. Now, I remember growing up when churches didn't have nurseries. And, and uh, uh, all the mothers sat in the back, and they were running out, in and out, because the baby would start to cry. What would happen there? I'm glad we have a nursery. And to be quite frank with you, I never saw a baby get saved in a church service. Okay. Uh, they never one of them walked forward or called. They would like to have called forward, but uh, not one of them ever did. Now, it sounds like I'm being facetious. No, I'm just trying to say uh, God gave us common sense. And even in the Old Testament, you know, in the Old Testament days when Jesus was there, when, remember after he preached, then they're bringing children unto him. And uh, the disciples thought, said, man, Jesus is tired. Boy, he's, all these thousands of people, now they're bringing these kids unto him. And they tried to stop, and Jesus rebuked the disciples. Let suffer the little children. Allow the little children to come to me. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. You know, he rebuked the disciples for not letting them come. But the reason they bring little children is because many times the mothers with their children, whether they were uh, 10 or 12 years old, 5 years old, babies, whatever, they stayed out away from it. I mean, they were near, but they were in a place where the children or anything else could not disturb the one who was speaking. And if they are in a service, they've got to be absolutely quiet. As a matter of fact, I believe in a lot of the uh, uh, Jewish synagogues, they do that to this day, that the kids, uh, they don't make noise in there. And that was all out of respect for the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God and showing the importance of it. Now, I know there's a movement that's gone on in the last years that say, well, the entire family should be in there. The entire family should be in there. I've had people say, well, even the baby should be in there. I said, look, we've got speakers going into the, the nursery. And if one of them get under conviction, we'll let them crawl for, out of there and crawl up here and get saved. But, you know, that's never happened yet. And that's why the family's supposed to be together. Yet, you know what I found over the years? I mean, I've, I've, it's happened quite a few times over the years, but couples will say that. But then they don't mind leaving their kids with babysitters to go out to eat together. Now I'm trying to say, uh, yo, at least be consistent. Don't go out on a date together. As a, if you believe that about church, then believe it. When you go out on a date together, take all your kids because the family should be together. 
Preacher, can you start talking about something else? Okay, but I'm just trying to say, look, the revival has to take place in the heart. It's got to be your individual relationship. You will find the will of God whatever you'd have you to do in that. You know, one of the important ministries of this church is that um, Sunday morning, ladies in the elementary chapel, men in the dining hall for prayer. One of the important ministries of this church are these men that come in here on Monday evening at 6 o'clock and pray. The Bible's full of God moving through prayer. Let's not deny the Word of God, okay? So I'm, I've, I've done all that just to kind of set things up here uh, about what a steward is. Uh, a steward could be applied to a husband. It's applied to a pastor. And that speaks of the personal responsibility before God that that steward has. Now that steward would give an account to the head of the family, to the owner of the business, or to whatever it was he was doing. Matter of fact, I'm going to give some more definitions here in just a moment just to show you what that is about. But he had responsibility. He had an accountability. I have an accountability before God. If I don't preach the Word, if I don't teach the Word, if I do not rightly divide the Word, if I uh, decide I'm going to go the psychology route, or if I'm going to go the contemporary route, there are people that say they're Christians would love that better. But they're not the ones that are going to suffer the loss of reward. And why does your flesh have to be more pleased than your spirit when you come to church? You see, uh, our liberty was not for the flesh. Our liberty was for the spirit. To be, not to be controlled under the desires of the flesh. And what the flesh wants in is what does God want in there, and that's what we're to follow. So he's an officer of the state as well, a steward, a lord, a high steward, a steward of the household. In colleges, he's an officer who provides food for the students. Boy, that's a lot of work. And, and then there's a superintendent of the well, really think of anything that concerns the, uh, the kitchen. On a ship, a ship of war, he's an officer who's appointed by the pursuer to distribute the provisions for the officers and the crews. Some ships, you know, the provisions for the table. In Scripture, theology, in other words, the teaching of the Word of God, the teaching of God. That is what the man of God does as he leads and directs at the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. You know what? Measure the pastor by the Word of God. I've told you plenty of times, I'll tell you again. You do not measure anything but boy, is he really a good speaker when you have an evangelist or anybody else in. Or it's me. What you're going to say is this. I'm going to listen and hear what he says. Then I'm going to search the scripture to see if those things are so. Because the Bible tells in Acts 17:11, that those uh, uh, at Berea were more no noble than those at Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures to see whether those things were so. So you always search the word. The word of God is what's important. It's it. That is it. That's why we 
push also the King James Bible because we know that the Bible is preserved, is totally preserved. Not one word has been lost. And it's been preserved through those manuscripts. People made new manuscripts. They've made all kinds of manuscripts and they've tried to change it. Why? Well, where do you think this woke culture comes from that's entered the churches? Where do you think this contemporary that's entered the churches come from? Uh, you'll find invariably almost every time that they're not using a King James Bible. Because you cannot preach the King James Bible completely and go through it and you'll find people starting to head other directions. That's why we stick with the right and the pure Word of God. And so, uh, these people have various responsibility. And again, people must see us as ministers and stewards of the mysteries. The mysteries, and it is a mystery. Not only to the world, but to many who name the name of Christ, of the righteousness and true holiness of God. Never forget Psalms 145, 17 is very clear. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. If a work is of God, it will never, never, never have the world in it. Instead, it will have righteousness that is of God and true holiness that is of God, if it's a work of God. Now, in our work for God, we go out to the world that the world may be converted, that they may be turned to Christ, and come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But we're told here, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You see, to serve the Lord in His house, to be a servant of the Lord, to be that witness, to be whatever that God is using you and would have you to do, to be that you are as a steward accountable to God for that stewardship that He's given you. And let me tell you what, God has never given you. Now, you, some have a gift, but did not come from God. He's given you a gift, but has not come from God. That is to point out what's wrong with everybody and why this church would be better if we would let up here and we did something about these standards being too rough or something like that. No, no, we still let God do it. His way is still right. So you don't change that. You don't change what God set up. I, I, I'd, be, I'd be quite honest with you. At 73 years old, I'm afraid of <laughs> going against what God wants me to do. You know? And so, I, I'm just saying that God does the things that He's going to do. He wants to do it through you. But whatever He's given you, you're, you're a steward of it. Now, let me give you another example. Let's say that you have a nice voice. You've got a good voice. Let's say that you have an ability to the license and everything else to drive a church bus. Let's say that you have those teaching abilities. You have that gift from God 
God's gifted you with it, and you're not going to use it for Him, then my friend, something is spiritually wrong with you. Now, a revival meeting makes us feel good. We're not trying to make you feel good. We want you to be right with God. You see, that's what's important, is being right with Him. You know, you can go out and get jobs and make a whole lot more money than you might be, for an example, a Christian school teacher. She could probably work in a uh, public school for more money. <laughs> she could work in a public school for more money. All she's got to learn is self-defense. <clears throat> but what I'm saying is, is that God's given you a gift. Use it. You're going to be accountable for it. I'm accountable for my gift. I, you're accountable for your gift. But you're accountable. Sometimes people get in the ministry. Maybe they sing in the choir. Maybe they teach a Sunday school class. And they get involved in that manner. But if, just like this past week, we had a meeting every day, or just like on Revival, you have uh, in a missions conference, you have those meetings. They say, well, man, I don't have to be there. Man, I got too much. Man, I'm tired. You know, I, I don't want to do that. Well, Get over yourself, okay? This is for the Lord. And as much as that other Christian ought to be faithful that's not in that Christian ministry you're working in, but the people that are there, the people that might be at church, well, they should be faithful. Well, you better be faithful too. Look, I've known men that work not just 40 hours, about 60 to 70 hours a week, and they're still faithful to God's house. I've seen that over the years. Brother Jim Peebles, man, that guy worked, 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 and he was still faithful. You could always count on him to be here. He's been with the Lord now for a year or two, and he hasn't missed a meeting up there yet. Okay. Now, but if you allow money to be the thing that keeps you from doing what you ought to do, you know, I can make more money, I can do this. And then you find in that job, you're, you have to lie every once in a while. You've got to break some what you would call Bible standards of modesty, Bible standards of right and wrong. Then what are you doing in that job? I've got to support my family. Well, good. Find that job that you can support a family in, but not to compromise your God, your word, the Word of God, and your walk with God. In other words, you're putting it back on God to support. Now, I'm, I'm talking about eternal decisions. See, that's what revival should bring about. It's not a great week of excitement. No, it should bring about a change in the heart that is a change from that point forward. That's revival. A change from that point forward. Now, I think there's one reason I know that that doesn't happen a lot today. There are people that may visit a church, may attend a church. I was on an airplane uh, flying back from Chattanooga one day up there for a board meeting with uh, BIMI, but I just remember getting on the plane. I went all the way to the back, sat on that back seat. There's hardly anybody on that plane, and I'm sitting back here. Got it all to myself. I can stretch out my legs, not worry about uh, people stepping over me. Man, that was great. And this stewardess, 
She walks back to me and she says, uh, sir, can you get up? I says, is there anything wrong? No, 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 but we need you to get up, go all the way down there to the front. And there, and I'll, I'll take you up there uh, and set up there. I, I said, well, what's the problem? She says, we're trying to the equally distribute the weight. <laughs> she thought with me flying in the back, I think that the plane would fly like that. I don't know if, what she thought. but uh, So I went up there, and I sat down there, and there's this, oh, I'd say about a 30-something blonde-headed lady sitting there with a uh, laptop computer. And she's just working away, and I go in there, and I, I sit down, and uh, I've got a track in my pocket. I take it out, and, uh, and I just leaned over. And I said, ma'am, I, I wrote this. I'd like for you to read it. Well, I said, I know you're busy there and all that, and, uh, but if you get a chance, read it. And uh, she said, okay, and took it, and she, she just kept on working. I got my satchel out, got the Bible out, got, started going over my sermon for Sunday, and then uh, I was looking at the corner of my eye every once in a while like that just to see if she was done. She finally got done. I found out later she was... Uh, in the medical field and she went to the various doctors and met with doctors and everything and and um, she was selling equipment and things of that nature that dealt with various kinds of cancer but she got done she closed that thing up she read it when she got done reading she set it down and so I said okay I gotta hurry up and act like I'm finishing up you know and so I finished up put put my Bible back in the satchel and then I said well what'd you think she said that's it I said, what do you mean? She says, a couple of months ago I prayed. I just decided, you know what, I, I need to go to church. My life's a mess and everything else. And she just said, I just need to go to church. I said, okay. Uh, and, and she says, well, when I was a little girl up in New York, and so I guess she's from New York, so you knew something wasn't right with her. Uh, but uh, she, she, she said, I went forward at a camp meeting. And there's a lot of us kids there, and they just said, pray this prayer, and sent me on my way. You know, just everybody, everybody was excited and happy, but said, you're going to heaven now. And that was about it. They said a prayer. You got it right. Well, that girl didn't get converted. I mean, Acts says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the Lord. And so, she read that, and she said, and used the illustration you've heard me use before about the tightrope from one building to the other and so forth, but she says, I had no idea of what it was a commitment of my life to him. So now I know. And so we talked to her about salvation, then I went on to with her to talk about getting into a church. I said, now look, where you go back, and I started to say yellow pages, I remember, wait a minute, no, well, they don't do yellow pages anymore, do they? I says, Google. I mean, she's got a laptop up there. She's going to Google. So I says, Google, churches, independent Baptists where you live, fundamental. But I says, don't stop there. Ask them if they use a King James Bible and ask them if their music is traditional or it's this rock and roll stuff they're using in churches today. She said, that's it. Okay. I said, here's another that's it thing. She said, you know what? She said, uh, I went to church couple of weeks ago I had all this black and had that music going in there and they were up there doing that kind of music and that kind of singing and said really when I got done I felt like I was at one of the clubs that I go to one of the nightclubs and so 
she thanked me, and I, to be honest with you, I forgot to say, hey, contact me. She had the, the track, the one that God's plan of salvation track, so I, uh, that she could, I, I just didn't tell her to recontact. So I don't know what her life is now or not. That doesn't matter. The matter was that she got saved there that day. Now, I'd like to see her grow in the Lord, but I won't know about it until I get to heaven. But what I'm trying to say is this. Here's a girl from a little girl that went to camp, now an adult. She may be 30, 40 something. I'm not sure what she was, but I know better than ask a lady what her age is. But um, here's, a, here's a lady that thought she was saved, but once she got a clear presentation of the gospel, she knew she wasn't saved. Now, what I'm saying is this. You say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for all my sins and rose from the dead. And praise God, he did. He rose from the dead. He died for your sins. He did that for you. But let me also say this. The devils believe and tremble, the Bible tells us. You believe there's one God, and thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. I don't know too many that tremble that say they believe that. You see, when you come to Jesus Christ, what did he say? He said first that him that come to me and I will no wise cast out. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. But he also said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus went everywhere preaching repentance and faith. Faith says, I believe that he actually did die for my sin because God said he did, which he did. He died, he's a propitiation. That means the entire payment for all sin for all time. John, uh, the apostle, when he was writing that, 1 John 2, 2 said, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's true. But you come to him to say, okay, Lord, instead of my way, it's your way. You're my God. You are God. I can't get rid of my sin. I can't take my sin away. But Lord, I know that you can cleanse me of it. I know that you can save me. I know that you can give me everlasting life. And you call upon him to save your soul. And he will, for he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're willing to give him your life, now I've used it. Many times, let me use it one more time. Well, I'll use it more times than that probably, but one more time for right now. My wife and I, we repented when we got, say, got married. She quit dating those 25 guys that she used to date, and I quit dating the one girl I used to date. <laughs> but, um, but we were turning from, but we were turning to. We gave our word to that commitment. Okay, that marriage. And that's what you're doing when you come to Christ. You're giving yourself to him. Will you fail? Yeah. But guess what? God never fails. Will he leave you or forsake you because you failed? No. There's chastening. There are things that come in, but he will never leave you. He'll always love you. But first, you're giving your life to him. You're giving it to him. His will, his way, but you're giving your life to him. You're receiving him 
knowing that you're a sinner, that you deserve to go to hell, but you believe that Jesus paid your penalty, and now you're going to give your life to him. You say, I don't want to go that far, then my friend, if you don't, before you die, you'll be one day at a white throne judgment. We who are saved will probably be there to see it. And we'll see you as you're cast forever into a lake of fire where you'll never cease to exist, where you'll never escape. And it will never let up into torment or anything else. Yet, you were warned. And you'll find that all those reasons you had for not going to church or not being saved or not for will seem as the stupidest thing you ever did, and it will be. Yet, right now, today, the Lord is willing to save you if you come to Him. If you'll come to Him. Let's bow our heads, please.